Welcome to this exclusive mini-series, Unlocking Net Zero, hosted by Unlocking Ambition alumni and friend, Dr. Stephanie Terney-Brown. In this series, Dr. Stephanie interviews outstanding entrepreneurial founders from all across Scotland, doing incredible things to help our net zero ambitions to become a reality. We know you'll enjoy listening in on this founder-to-founder conversation. We hope you'll be inspired by the innovative ways in which Scottish companies are revolutionising their own operations, leading the way in showing what Scotland is capable of as we transition to a net zero economy. As always, the views of our guests will not always reflect those of Unlocking Ambition or our partners. We welcome the breadth of opinions and approaches to tackling climate change. And not only can you enjoy their conversation today, but you can get involved too. Find us online on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you and your story of how you are also unlocking net zero. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this Unlocking Net Zero podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Stephanie Tereni-Brown, Managing Director of Clean Water Wave, one of the original Unlocking Ambition cohort. This series is exploring Scotland's most innovative founders of startups and companies that are really delivering on our net zero ambitions and contributions. We're doing this in the lead up to the next UN Climate Change Conference, COP26, where a net zero carbon future, natural habitat protection, financing of climate solutions and collaborative action are the four key priority areas. I am very happy today to be joined by Claire Rampen and Emily Rogers, co-founders of Wreath. Wreath provides, and I quote here, digital infrastructure for the circular economy, which sounds incredible, but I'm not digital or tech savvy at all. So let's find out what that means. Claire and Emily, welcome. Hello, great to see you again. <laughs> I guess, first of all, tell us a little bit about your company, about Wreath. What, what is it? What is digital infrastructure and why do we need it for a circular economy? So um, someone has called us the plumbers of circular economy, which is not a very glamorous analogy, but I think it gives a good picture of we kind of do all the back end traceability um, and data management of circular systems. And the data that we collect ensures that a reuse system is being run to health and safety standards, to waste standards. And it also helps companies optimize um, how they're managing the system in terms of reverse logistics and gives them some interesting customer insights for how to better engage with the public that they're trying to reach um, and appease in many ways, because a lot of customers are asking for more sustainable options out there, which is great. So in practical terms, what does that mean? How can you, how do you help businesses collect this data and monitor it? So for consumable products, so think about anything that you put in or on your body, like food and drink or cosmetics, um, they all have batch codes. And batch codes are important because they let companies issue recalls if there's any issue with any of the ingredients. And batch codes need to be permanently stamped onto packaging so that consumers are able to identify what batch of product they have. And if you think about this from a company's point of view, if they want to institute something like reusable packaging, for example, they have to permanently stamp a batch code onto a piece of packaging, sell it to a customer, customer uses it, and then they return it and the company can collect it, clean it. But then when they go to fill it again, they still have that old batch number on there. So that's where kind of the inspiration for Wreath came about was how do we digitize this process so we're not 
permanently stamping things onto packaging, but we can actually give them kind of a passport like people have when they travel the world um, so that we can kind of just put stamps of information into the passport like the batch number as it's being refilled and reused. So in practical terms, that's how it works. That's an example for reusable packaging, which is our, our main use case. Um, but we've also explored how it could be applied to different uses of PPE. Obviously, that came about in the height of the COVID pandemic. Um, and we're also looking into electronics remanufacturing because uh, similar to how batch codes are used for uh, food and drink and cosmetics, Remanufactured electronics have different parts that get swapped out and you need a history of record that kind of details that for the health and safety of the electronic. Okay, very cool. I feel like my brain is expanding just speaking. This is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is it sort of like a sticker or a QR code that you, that you can stick onto something? Great question. So what we do is we work with any machine readable code and it basically means every reusable item needs to have a unique ID and that can be delivered to it in a lot of ways. So we have worked and talked to people in the tech who actually specialize in this technology itself. And it can range from injecting quantum material into a resin on a bottle that will give it a unique ID through to embossing a matrix code into glass or something as simple as putting a QR sticker onto a piece of packaging. So it really varies in the complexity and the, I'd say the elegance of the solution, um, but there's lots of different ways that you can give an item, a physical item, a unique digital identity. Very cool. So are you leading on, on all of those kind of different angles or are you sort of doing the kind of backend data side of things? Definitely not. So we, we really recognize that one of the most important uh, we recognize that it's important to have focus if you want to be successful. Mm -hmm. And there's some phenomenal companies out there who are really at the cutting edge of tracking or like the actual tracker technology. And so we identify these companies, we contact them, usually try to understand a bit more about their technology and how it could serve our customers and try to form partnerships. Um, our role in all of that is then to be able to, for our scanning technology, to be able to recognize those IDs um, because that, the way that you recognize an RFID is different from how you recognize a QR, for example. And then, as you say, um, we provide the digital passport for that physical item. So it's our system that captures information about what that item is, maybe what it's made of, that kind of thing, but also the dynamic data about how it's living its life out there in its sort of re happy, reusable world. Um, so how many times it's been reused? Uh, potentially who was reusing it if, if you want if it's a um, if you've got information about the person who was using it and uh, how it was cleaned for example okay that's really fascinating so it's not really the you know that there's expertise in other kind of side areas that people are leading on in terms of product development so that's not where you feel your expertise is you're very much helping them actually use the kind of the data side of things to be able to integrate that into a, into a separate product with the combined so you can get the the data side from you guys the actual um the the sticker or the lab whatever it is for the for the product and combined that then goes on to if it's a consumable product so it's, that's really clever so it's like a it's almost like different um lego bricks being stuck together <laughs> It absolutely is. I think one of the researchers that we worked with when we were working on um, collecting all the information that you need to track for a reusable item, which ended up being funneled into an open data standard, 
she made a really great observation about circular economy saying that it's an ecosystem and that not one business can successfully execute this on their own. It's going to be partnerships and cooperation. And we very much see ourselves as a part of the solution. Um, and that's why we try to remain flexible as well with the product that we've created so that we can adapt to those different technologies, but also adapt to our different customer needs because depending on what they sell or what they're trying to do, they will need various types of trackers, um, especially with the cleaning process, so, um, depending on what types of cleaning the items need to undergo, different types of trackers will be more resilient or suited for that. So it's up to us to stay flexible and keep up with it as well. Of course, yeah, of course, because if you're you're treating a product under heat treatment or, or with water treatment, then it's going to have an impact on how you code and, ma and manage that process. Exactly. Really fascinating. And what was your inspiration for doing this? And actually, how did you guys meet? We met at university. Uh, Claire was running a huge arts festival uh, and I had just moved to the UK and we were both students and I wanted something to do and it looked like fun. And then I started working with Claire and realized that uh, she's amazing. And I think we both just loved working together and kind of always joked that after university, you know, we would go explore the working world a bit, see what it takes to build a business and then hopefully we'd come back together. And Claire very much made that a reality <laughs> in 2019 when she said, okay, I'm doing this. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, we didn't, I wouldn't say we started, you know, we didn't just turn the business on immediately. No. And I don't think anyone comes to this, <laughs> this kind of a product or solution. You know, it wasn't a, a moment in the shower when it just came to one of us. We both had part-time jobs and we did um, quite a lot of research in our own time. And we knew we wanted to tackle the challenge of single-use packaging. We felt the problem keenly ourselves as consumers. And we could see that there was some big legislation changes coming down the line and companies were going to have to act. And we knew that they weren't going to be prepared. So we started interviewing as many companies as we could and writing to companies and asking them why they weren't reusing packaging. And we got a list of responses back that we largely were able to put into three buckets. Um, the first being the legislation piece, the second being around design insights and the challenges if you've been designing for single use for decades, you know, how do you flip that brief and, and completely change what you're producing? And then the third being around the systems that they were using to manage their current business, being very much built for a linear world. And it was, our experience in digital products and Emily working in logistics and inventory management, that we knitted all of that together and realized that there was a space in the market for a solution that was tailored to circular systems that would really answer all of those questions. So would let them collect data on those reusable assets to make sure they were compliant, but also let them um, actually begin to predict how likely it was that those reusable assets might come back. Um, one of the key challenges in a circular system versus a single use one. And I think our hope is that ultimately we'll get to a product that um, brings the best of both worlds, the resilience of a circular system where you're not reliant on single use supply chains, which can be disrupted at the drop of a hat as we've seen with COVID, but also the predictability of single use where um, through improved data collection and modeling, where you actually know how likely it is that something's gonna come back. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really interesting lessons in there. I mean, partly over, you know, just you guys learning very early on that you like working together and you knew that you could work together. I mean, that's that, I mean, that's useful for anybody that's running a business. I think 
knowing that you can get along with who you're working with and that you can, you know, there's a symbiotic relationship there. I mean, that, that's the fundamental part, I think, of running any business. But then it's so fascinating that you kind of knew that you wanted to work together, but the way of formulating what it is that you wanted to do was by actually doing market research directly with companies as your starting point before you'd even started anything. And that really sounds like that was the starting point for this is where the opportunity is. Yeah, I don't think we could have, there's no way to get to this solution without getting to the problem really intimately. Uh, and that's what we found because I think we were just so frustrated by the fact that we were being advertised all of these vegan, organic, paraben-free cosmetics and they were coming to us in single-use packaging. We're like, we don't want this. What's going on? What's the disconnect? Uh, and it took a lot of pivoting and iterating and experimenting and testing. We were probably doing that for about six months, um, where I think one of our friends would call us and what we were working on had changed day to day just because we were learning so much so quickly. Uh, and then it got to a point where we'd built this rickety Excel to track different pieces of data. And we realized, okay, this needs to be a very robust piece of software if it's gonna be uh, something that companies rely on to produce compliance reports. Yeah, I think one of, one of our friends commented that you ladies aren't scared of a pivot. And I think that's very true. <laughs> um, we, But I, I actually think, particularly in the environmental field, that's the best way to go about finding solutions because it's so complex and everything is so interlinked. And, you know, we actually spent quite a lot of time working with the University of St. Andrews up front to understand, you know, how bad is plastic anyway? Because we were reading a lot of LCAs that were saying, actually, when you compare it to glass in terms of transport weight, in terms of the amount of um, energy it takes to produce the material, plastic is actually much better. And we wanted to get ourselves to the point that we had a really strong thesis as to why we felt like reuse was the right option to tackle this problem. Um, and, and I think that's really critical. I think too often in the environmental field, we, and I, this is partly the issue of greenwashing, you see people jump in with, you know, like a bioplastic that, that actually can't be recycled and actually has no end of life plan and actually is going to cause havoc in the recycling system, for example. Um, and so I think it's really critical that people spend time understanding the problem. Well, I think that's absolutely true, and particularly with the circular economy, because for most people who produce anything, if they're producing a product or a service, it's premised on the linear economy and not the circular one. So trying to understand how to, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's it's one of the most gigantic pivots that we all have to have to mm. do. I mean, talk about you guys being the queen of pivots. <laughs> I mean, this is what we all have to do, but in order to do it, there's so much that we don't know. So getting to the heart of that issue of how a product is used, what the life cycle is of it, how likelihood, how what the, not even just how you can recycle it, but how it even gets to the recycling point in the first place, how likely are consumers to, to get there, to get the product there. So there's a huge amount of learning, I think, and what you're doing sounds like it's heading absolutely in the right direction in terms of just being able to gather all of that information and then put it into a very practical way. Because I think one of the other things that we see with a lot of various data sources is that we gather an awful lot of information and then quite often, don't really know what to do with it <laughs> but yes. this is highly practical and you're working very much so so who are your customers then who, who or who do you see as your customers if you absolutely so I'd say just kind of going on your earlier point there one of our longer term goals is to 
we're about monitoring and measuring because how else do you know if you're succeeding against a goal or a target that you've set? And we want companies to initiate a reuse system, but we don't want to have a reuse system whose carbon footprint is worse than their single use system. So we are trying to get to a point where we can give kind of comparisons so that companies know which direction of travel to take and are having responsible choices made that they can con communicate well to the consumer. So I think that's a cornerstone of what we're building in terms of that actionable data. And our key customers are retailers, anyone who sells packaged goods, essentially. Um, so fast-moving consumer goods companies, all the big ones out there, all the smaller ones out there. Uh, we're lucky to be working with Marks and Spencers right now. We're very much on a learning journey with them as they explore how to offer lower packaging solutions to customers. They're a great company in terms of their, they put their kind of thinking at the forefront and understand that they have a huge role to play um, in mitigating carbon and they take it very seriously. So I think we feel very lucky in our partnership with them. Um, we also work with some really great startups that are what I would call reuse first brands. So they've identified this gap in the market and gone out headfirst bravely to offer these kinds of um, products to consumers. And what's been fantastic working with them is that we're seeing really high adoption rates from the consumers that do care and so they're all doing really really well but it's i'm also always in awe of them because they've gone out to provide a service where the infrastructure doesn't exist so they've been building the road as they've gone and that's been really rewarding for us to work with them because we've often found that we're the best conversation of their week when they realize they don't have to build this entire digital infrastructure for what they're doing they can plug into our system um, in a way that's affordable to them in their scheme and and don't have to build it from scratch. So I, yeah. That's really how we knew that we were finding product market fit is when we were talking to companies, be them the, the smaller ones who are really paving the way, as Claire said, um, or even the larger ones. It's, it's ones who have tried to implement reuse and they've hit this barrier that the, the data collection really kind of overcomes and it opens up a lot of doors for them. And when we are able to explain the solution to them, they get it immediately. And yeah, they're relieved and they say like, okay, great. This is not my area of expertise. This is not what my company is going to focus on. We need this partnership. Um, and that's pretty amazing. Yeah. We have one person <laughs> who uh, said she wanted to get up and dance because she was so happy <laughs> that she'd found us. <laughs> Which made us want to get up and dance too. So it's, yeah, just, I think in doing this, we also just find incredible people who are behind these businesses and who are part of these teams. And that's been the best thing about this mm -hmm. because we've got a product that we're really proud of. And it's it's not at all like a slimy sales cycle that you think of sometimes in the corporate world. It's very people to people trying to do something good. And we're hopefully making that journey easier for them. We're also lucky in that our revenue directly correlates with our impact. So the more items we have tracked in the system, i.e. the more items are being reused, the more we charge. <laughs> so it's every all the incentives are aligned, which feels really good. I was going to ask you about that, about how your business model works. So, so it's entirely premised on more reuse or more, more items or more reuse. We're a software license fee. So and yeah, we're a software license fee and we scale it up based on volume of items because 
as I'm sure you can imagine, if you have a million items to store that data is significantly more than if you have a hundred. And also the likelihood of you needing to do some pretty interesting things with a million, the data of a million items, um, that's gonna take quite a lot more computing power and possibly also some more features um, from our product. So that's how we price it and um, yeah, how we make money. We're, we're very much an embedded piece in the logistics infrastructure. Okay, but and you guys have come from an IT background or a computer sciences background, data data management. What's we skipped yeah. that part of the story? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you want to go first? Sure. Um, so my undergraduate was actually in languages and linguistics, which is very handy. Of course, the natural progression. Yeah, natural <laughs> progression. Very handy when you're building a data structure and um, a taxonomy, though. Actually. All of my linguistics knowledge was coming into play. But um, no, I started my career at Telefonica Digital, which was the digital products arm of Telefonica, a global, enormous um, tel telecom telecommunications company. So I was really fortunate that I got a pretty phenomenal um, grounding in how to build, grow, scale, monetize digital products um, at such a world-reaching company. Um, and that really... It was actually at Telefonica that I first came across the circular economy. This was back in 2013, so um, when circular economy was even less of a known term. And it was talking about how the Internet of Things could play a role in the circular economy. And I think that planted a seed for me longer term about um, the way that digital and physical can interact and can ultimately result in the kinds of efficiencies that we need to see. Um, and I was working for different Series A and Series B startups based in London. And I was working primarily in their operations department, and I got to focus on inventory management and really digitizing that process and kind of bringing it into the 21st century because both businesses were quite forward thinking. And I guess I had that seed planted moment of going to our conference and seeing Amazon present how they're able to pack a truck before anyone's ordered and that truck can go deliver um, as the orders come in throughout the day because they just know that a certain number of people in that area are going to order toilet paper that day. Uh, and it just made me realize that inventory management without AI, it's gonna be a thing of the past quite quickly. So when we started thinking about reuse, that was a huge system that we knew we had to plug into because it's only set up to go one way right now and has to take things back into account. So it felt really natural to go at it from a data angle because we knew that that's what was gonna plug in easily for the systems of the future. Hmm. Okay, so uh, fascinating. So neither of you really from a kind of tech, hard tech background, but actually your experience has brought a huge amount to where you are at the moment in terms of for you logistics management and kind of understanding the kind of data side behind it and then in you Claire from the you know the telecom side and, and growing the digital kind of infrastructure and how to how to charge for it as well what the business model <laughs> is for that yeah absolutely and I think we both worked in tech first businesses which helped because we were very much part of building a technical product so knew what good and bad and best looked like there and kind of got to recreate that in our own way for this business. Mm, really fascinating. And in terms of your customers now, I mean, you mentioned a, a couple earlier and some of them I would imagine are, you know, as you said, the kind of circular economy in mind and they've, they're very much premised on the, you know, reusable, um, that's front and center of what, of what they do. 
other ones I would imagine are trying they're only just beginning to explore it um possibly as you said you know at the top from your um the research that you did because really their primary motivation is legislation and they're going to get hammered if they don't do it um how do you see that kind of balance between different customers and and I guess you know what the customer demand is more generally for understanding their products and their product cycle and what their consumers want I mean is I mean from a consumer point of view do you feel like there really is a push towards um I guess a much more sustainable future and you know products that are that have kind of a low carbon footprint or a low footprint in general? I think it was a retail week statistic that suggested that around 81% of consumers want to see more refill reuse options. And yet we know that 1.9% of packaging on market is actually reusable. So there's a big gap there in terms of what's available and what people want. I think also if we're realistic and our research into the open data standard really hammered this home, consumers want one thing but ultimately comfort, convenience and cost are three really important considerations for them, which don't always marry up with their either ethical ideals or just actually what they have in terms of their ability to make purchasing decisions. And so we try and be very realistic with the clients that we work with about those limitations. So if you're gonna set up a reuse system that is incredibly tricky to use and, and is triple the price, and has all of these complications involved, you'll probably reach a a very dedicated target market, but you're probably gonna struggle to scale. And so we've tried to push um, the discussion into more of a, how can you actually see packaging as a pain point and solve that pain point for your customers and deliver them the same value in a different way? Um, And I think that there's some, this is also going to, Um, We're going to see a lot of changes for consumers in the next few years in the UK because the deposit return scheme is coming in first in Scotland and then Wales and England following suit, where you're going to have to pay a 20p deposit on all drinks containers um, and you're going to have to take them back to a distribution site in order to get your refund. Now, that kind of change in behaviour is going to be really significant for people. Um, I don't have a car, so I'm going to be particularly badly impacted. Um, And... But I also think it offers this fantastic opportunity for companies to start getting people to think about packaging in a different way, both as something that's got value, because in this case, it suddenly will, but also something that um, doesn't need to be throwaway. And maybe they can even eliminate that pain of having to be throwaway um, if they can adopt some of the more kind of advanced reuse models. Um, Yeah, It's it's a really great point. And I think we're what we're seeing is a lot of these big companies are stealth experimenting with reuse and they're maybe a little bit further along than we get to know from the public. Um, But there are huge challenges, right? When you think about the number of products that Nestle puts out per day, you know, we're in the hundreds of millions there. It's just, it's an insane number. So I think they like to start small, start with just certain brands to experiment. And what's important to us is that we can cater to them because they have the biggest impact to be perfectly frank. Like they're the ones that can really move the needle on reducing the amount of waste going into the environment. But we also wanna make sure that the platform remains very affordable and accessible for the smaller businesses who are trying to do this. And so far the pricing model has really allowed that. 
Um, and it's going to remain important to us because we want those smaller challenger brands to get off the ground because that's how innovation disrupts, right? And that's how we get those bigger companies to move faster is when they start to see that competition. So we want to make sure that we can be infrastructure for both. Yeah. We've learned so much from working with our small clients because they're the ones that are pushing the boundaries. Yeah. Um, I, I think as Emily mentioned in the logistics world, you know, hearing the Amazon example of being able to pack a truck before it left, uh, before the orders had even come in, you know, we can see a world in which reuse can get to that level of optimization, but we know that we've got to rewind our expectations and really start at the beginning, which is moving from pen to paper systems to digital. So we're really, it feels like we're maybe in the 90s <laughs> of digitization. Um, yeah, it's early days. You got to start somewhere. Oh, that's wonderful. And I think, you know, what's, I think, brilliant about what you're trying to do. I mean, there's so much that's brilliant about what you're trying to do, but I think really trying to make that price point available to the startups that, you know, because they are generally, I think, if they're starting from scratch, it's much easier to implement those changes than it is if you're trying to pivot an entire business because then it's not just your business you're trying to pivot but all your supply chains as well um, and trying to change you know not just what you do but what other people in that, in that business you know in that in that kind of I don't know generational family almost that that everything every element of that needs to needs to pivot in order to meet those goals but with the startups they're starting from scratch and sometimes being able to get access to to that data affordably is one of the most, was one of the biggest hurdles actually, because, you know, a lot of people want to do the right thing or a lot, you know, a lot of business leaders want to do the right thing, but they don't actually know where to start, how to do it. Or they, as you said earlier, they think they're doing the right thing by changing to a different style of packaging, for example. But, you know, in a couple of years time, they realize they've made a gigantic mistake and that's because yeah. just the data wasn't there to help them provide it. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you earlier, uh, one of the key pillars of COP26 is the financing of climate solutions. And I think it's really fascinating that you guys have been, you know, you've been really successful in raising funding for what you're up to and, and understandably so. Um, and you've had funding from a, a VC firm and also from an impact investment firm. Um, how was that process and how interested were, were, you know, in terms of raising that funding, was your, you know, your ethos and your circular economy mission to, to you know, how interested were they as, as to that mission? It was tough. Um, <laughs> I think zooming out from the circular economy for a second, we're two female founders of a tech business and that's hard. We're also young women. Um, and I don't think either of us realized how we'd heard the statistics and we knew that it would be difficult, but I don't think either of us realized kind of how many difficult conversations we would find ourselves in. So actually when we found Techstart, they were a breath of fresh air because there was no condescension. There was no double guessing. There were only smart, thoughtful questions that really pushed our own thinking. And we love those kinds of questions because they help us kind of bring the business further. So and they were really excited about having this kind of circular economy proposition. And I think it's becoming a more and more popular area for investment, but how surface level that is kind of remains to be seen. I think some firms are really trying to figure out what their investment thesis is when it comes to reuse specifically, which is great because that means that they're really putting the resources in to understand it. That's the kind of 
thinking that we really like to get involved with. Um, and I think there are others that kind of see it more as a tick box. So you'll, yeah, like, like with anything, you get a mix. Uh, but we're happy that it seems like more light is being shown on it. And I think even from a year ago, we used to get questions like, is reuse actually gonna happen? And even now kind of like uh, eight months, nine months on, those questions have stopped. Reuse is happening. It's it's much more accepted now, which is great. It's made it uh, much easier for us and it kind of makes us look great with a crystal ball. <laughs> yeah, we found that sometimes we would turn up to an, a meeting with an investor and they would be challenging us just not even on reuse, but just on the circular economy of the concept. And at that point, we had to really just start to end those conversations because if if you don't believe in the circular economy as a concept that it will work financially, that it will ever happen, then we're not gonna be able to convince you with our business and our business model, no matter what traction we get and what marquee clients we land, we'll never be able to convince you that this is a thing. So it was finding those investors that were just aligned at values and a, and a market belief level, that's when things start to started to sort of slot into place. Um, but as Emily said, it definitely wasn't easy. Maybe we make it look easy from the outside. <laughs> you just see the good stuff. Um, and I think the other part of that is like the future is not written yet. And the world that we want to see is one where reuse is more common than single use. And if we don't do something to help get us there, then why would we think that, that was going to happen? You know, you have to put the work in to be the foundation for what you want to see. And yeah, we are taking a bet on it. And we're going to do everything we can to make that come true because we see that as a healthy future for the planet. And those are the kind of uh, investors that we want to align with who are willing to kind of put that money behind that kind of thinking of like, what world do we want to build? Nothing set in stone yet. And how optimistic are you about being able to meet our climate change goals overall? And do you think Scotland in particular offers anything unique to the cause? That's a heavy question. <laughs> I fluctuate, honestly. I have up days and down days. Um, I mean, we started the business here for a reason. This is, it's a kind of in every way a healthier atmosphere to be in outside of London. It's still a very smart, driven place to be really healthy data ecosystem as well. Um, and I think because Scotland is just a bit smaller, you kind of have the freedom to experiment a bit more. Uh, I think about it in, on a state-by-state -state basis in the U.S. It's like the whole of the U.S. doing something would take decades, whereas, you know, different states can experiment. And I feel that way about Scotland in terms of having that bit of autonomy and really trying to use it. And I think the aggressive climate targets help because that's where you start right you have to put draw a line in the sand and Scotland was the first nation to declare a climate emergency which says a lot you know and um, I think it also there's something very appealing about starting a circular economy business where there's a very prominent organization called Zero Waste Scotland involved <laughs> you know and we we went through their circular economy business support program at the very very beginning of our journey um, and so we've maintained contact there I but I just, I think that's, I see their name everywhere. And I noticed the other day that Airbnb says that they're donating all of the revenue they make from COP uh, bookings to Zero Waste Scotland. And I thought that was a really interesting, there's something very powerful about that statement of a name. And um, that, that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, so I think the, the environment felt right. And I, I probably feel a lot more optimistic surrounded by that environment than I do 
um, if I were elsewhere in the world. So there's almost like a kind of, yes, there's that uh, freedom to experiment, as you said, because it's, you know, it's a smaller place than, say, mm -hmm. starting up in London. Yeah. Um, it's probably easier to network in to some degree than it is in London or, or somewhere that's you know bigger. But there's also that kind of, as you say, a, an almost comfort that's brought about by having perhaps like-minded other organisations that are aligned to what you wanted to do. And that kind of gives you that, I guess it gives you a, you know, a boost, a confidence boost in some ways that you're, you know, there are, you're not going to be a, just a lone wolf in a vast landscape <laughs> telling somebody yeah. that this is the right thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. It was through, um, I think it was census, which is, I couldn't tell you what the acronym stands for, <laughs> but um, an organization in Scotland that's around data and internet things. And they put us in touch with a fantastic company called Egg Lighting that does lighting and service. And together we applied for an Innovate UK grant, won it, and have since done this exploratory project into remanufacturing of, of luminaires and lighting units. And to have those, to know that those like-minded companies are, you know, shoulder to shoulder with you, it's really, really good feeling. Um, like you're not so alone as you may feel. Absolutely. And I think, also, you know, in order to achieve a circular economy, that's exactly what we need. We need like-minded mm -hmm. companies to work together. You have to co-locate, you have to look at what, you know, your waste streams are and how somebody else could, could use it potentially. And yes, um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's very important to have that kind of ecosystem here. And the IPCC set out 2030 as the date when we need to have halved our CO2 outputs by. That's only eight years away. Where do you see Reef in 2030? Oh no. <laughs> it's like we're we're fun, we're beginning fundraising again soon and we've done a five-year projection that doesn't quite get us there. No. Um the UK plastic pact and the US plastic pact will come into effect in 2025, and they have pretty hefty targets for reusable packaging being on market. I think that's gonna be our first milestone. And honestly, I don't think we're gonna hit the targets, but just having those deadlines so soon really helps kick companies into gear. Um, legislation largely, I think, will have changed around the world by then as well. Um, we're seeing murmurings of that in the US, all over Europe, Asia's beginning to follow suit and in some ways is leading. So I think by 2030, we'll have a lot of legislative backing behind us and we'll probably have quite a robust product in terms of the compliance reporting we offer to help companies show that they are reusing their packaging and therefore they do get a tax incentive for doing so. And hopefully we'll have plugged in to help governments run that quite smoothly. Yeah. Um, I think that's gonna be a big change. One of the best conversations that we have at the moment is when companies come to us and say, we've got a target for 2030, usually aligned with the, the goal that you mentioned. And oftentimes it's materials focused and they say, we need to hit this and we have absolutely no idea how. And we get, then get to work with them and suggest how we could be used as a tool um, in order to help them reach that and how reuse could play a part in them reaching that goal. So I would like to think that we've replicated those conversations <laughs> with many 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 companies and we're powering the reuse systems of yeah well i think our, our ultimate goal is to be um powering the reuse of billions of items so hopefully we'll be somewhere towards that goal absolutely and kind of what you were talking about earlier about meeting companies where they're at and understanding what our customers want there's definitely a piece around digitizing a record of what packaging is currently on the market. And that's something we're really exploring right now. So that companies will get a very clear sense of measurement when they look at 
the disposable packaging on the market versus their reusable peas and kind of what percentage of that there is and how it helps them get close to that goal because they can't say that they've succeeded the goal unless they've been able to measure their progress towards it and that's something that we enable them to do so yeah it's a hitting those goals is very important to us and I think that the removal of single-use packaging is going to be a huge carbon saver um, so it seems like a likely thing that a lot of companies will turn to over the next few years. Well I'm excited to see you help other companies reach that goal I dare say people listening to this you might have a, com a combination of people wanting to work for you and people wanting to work with you. <laughs> so we are hiring so please get in touch. <laughs> Brilliant excellent thank you ever so much Claire and Emily that was wonderful thank awesome. you so Thanks much so. for having us